everybody. Thanks for tuning in to Lessons with Troy, the podcast. I'm your host, Troy Bernie Meyer. This week, I'm happy to have Cincinnati-based musician and teacher Nick Fryer on the podcast. I found out about Nick through various lap steel groups on Facebook, and after doing some research, I ran across his great transcriptions of lap steel players such as Jules Assee and Joaquin Murphy, and I thought I'd invite him on the podcast and see if I could pick his brain and share not only his story of how he got into all this, but also have a total lap steel geek out about players and albums that I need to check out. If you want to learn more about Nick and his music, you can visit his site at nickfriermusic.com. Also, as always, if you're interested in learning more about playing lap steel, dobro, Weisenborn, or pedal steel, be sure to check out my site, lessonswithtroy.com. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the podcast. Uh, let's go ahead and make welcome Nick Fryer, all the way from Cincinnati, Ohio. What's up, Nick? Not much. Thanks for having me on. So, Nick, why don't you tell our listeners just you know a little bit about you, your background, and how you got started playing lap steel? Yeah, well, you know, I'm primarily a guitar player um, and have played guitar since I was about 10 years old and, and I got into playing rock, you know, just like every kid does. And then, and then, you know, when I was a teenager, I got really into playing jazz music and, um, but, uh, and have been kind of a, you know, doing professional, uh, playing jazz professionally for like the last 25 years or so. And, but um, right out of high school, I, uh, I got a pedal steel guitar. Um, I was always really into bands like Neil Young, um, and Ben Keith was the pedal steel player on a lot of those classic records like Harvest, but then also guys like Jerry Garcia who played pedal steel. So like, I always loved that sound and, and of course had heard like Sleepwalk from Santo and Johnny. And so I just always loved the steel and you know, so I was, I played pedal steel for a while, but it was like way before all the internet and all these resources. And, um, I managed to kind of like, I mean, I didn't even, I, I knew nothing about the instrument. I just, but I managed to kind of figure out how to kind of play a little bit, very rudimentary, you know, no technique or anything, but, um, but would play along with records and, but then I was getting really serious about playing jazz and I sold my pedal steel, um, the Fender 400, <laughs> which now I regret because it was such a sweet guitar. Um, but you know, then fast forward to about five years ago. Um, I don't know. I just still had the bug, you know, the steel bug and always in the back of my mind, I, I was wanting to get back into it. And, um, <clears throat> um, I was living in California at the time and I just, I had an acoustic guitar that was kind of had a, almost like a broken neck on it and it had a really high action. And I just started playing along with some Hank Williams records because I was hearing Don Helms on those records and just really was totally like enthralled by that sound again. And um, it's a really funny story actually. Like, I mean, I, I feel so blessed to like be in the music and be where I'm at now and just know all the people that I've met, you know, like yourself and just all these people, like there's this amazing community when you play music. And, um, the weirdest thing happened. Like I, you know, um, I, I was so excited about playing steel and, you know, of course was like telling people like, oh, I'm really getting into playing steel. And, um, and, 
you know, I mean, talk about like the law of attraction, like within one week, um, I told, I was talking to my friend who was a teacher at the college that I was teaching at, I was telling him about the steel and then I was telling a student of mine about the steel. Well, literally like two days later, my friend called me and he said, Hey man, this lady just called me and she just donated all her instruments to my band program. And one of them's, one of them's a Gibson steel and like, you can have it. And like, um, so I was like, wow, because I didn't even have a steel. I was just playing this old K archtop flipped upside down, you know, and with the high action. And so, so then all of a sudden I had this Gibson, this old, four, it was a BR6 from like the late 40s. Sounded amazing, you know. So all of a sudden I had a steel and I was transcribing, you know, because coming from the jazz world, you know, we do a lot of transcribing and that's how we learn the language and stuff. And, and so I did some... Don Helms transcriptions and <clears throat> well then what happened was um, the student that I had been talking to about the steel he said hey man my wife's um, we have two of my wife's grandfather's steels would you be interested in borrowing them and checking them out I was like sure you know I was like but I've already got this steel so no worries or whatever well then the next day he comes to school and he's got these two cases. One of them's like this massive case and I'm like, wow, that's a big guitar, you know, what's going on? And the other one was a small one. And I open up the case and it's this triple neck Rickenbacker that, and I could just tell that this thing was like a really amazing guitar. And then lo and behold, the other one was a fry pan. So I'm like, dude, these are like some amazing guitars. And he's like, well, we want to sell them, you know, and they're just sit they've been sitting in the closet for like the last 20 years. Nobody plays them. And well, so then what I did was I, I posted a picture of the triple neck up onto that lap steel lunatics page, which is so cool. I love that page. Um, and, and so I posted a picture up there. I wasn't even a member of the group. I joined the group and then I posted the picture and like within, I think I went and did something, came back like five hours later and there was like hundreds of comments and every comment was like, holy, you know what, you know, like, gee, you know, people were freaking out. Like that's a really rare guitar. And with that, um, I get a message from this guy, Lee Jeffries. And he's, the message basically said like, dude, that's a seriously rare guitar. And 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 we, I kind of messaged him or whatever, and I was a little cautious, you know, because I didn't know any of these people. And um, he he said, "Hey, you should call me." And I was like, "Well, wait a second, you know, like." So then I did a quick search on Lee and saw that he was um, a really well-regarded steel player um, and had played with Big Sandy and the Flyright Boys, which was a band that I was aware of. Anyways, through that picture, I became good friends with Lee, and he it ended up he just lived about an hour down the road from me where I was living, and we hung, we got to hang out, and and he just like completely changed my world around with like introducing me not only to like a ton of music, um, but also a lot of steel players, and like. You know, so like through that one picture and meeting Lee, it was just like 
I mean, literally, I feel like my life got changed, you know. So, like, through Lee, I met Mikia Matsuda, who's a great steel player who lives in the Bay Area. Keith Carey is also kind of in the Bay Area. I met him. and um, But like I said, Lee just, like, he would just, like, pepper me with music, like, check this out, check this out, check this out. And he was kind of interested in me because of my jazz background, and he would ask me questions about, like, theory and stuff. And so it was, like, this kind of mutual sharing of information. And we've just been, like, fast friends ever since. And 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 that, so that was kind of, like, once I got, once you know, once that happened, I was just, like, knee-deep in it. And I've been, like, full-on, like, digging in to the instrument and the music like ever since, like really obsessively. <laughs> um, you know, I, I, I was born and raised in Cincinnati and I, I lived here till about um, uh, 2000. And, and then I, uh, <clears throat> I moved to Chicago. I lived in Chicago for eight years. And um, I, up there I studied with a guy named Fareed Hawk, who's like a pretty well-known jazz guitarist. And, um, and that was great. And, um, and I, and then, uh, but as far as the steel, um, you know, uh, really my main teacher has been John Ely, um, who I, I don't know if you're familiar with John. You, yeah. You, yeah. I, yeah. I contacted him. I was, I, uh, I went to Maui and one of the, the students, you know, in Alan's uh, workshop there, mm-hmm. Uh, was a student of John's, and yeah. he was playing these amazing transcriptions. And I'm like, "Holy crap, man! I gotta, I gotta contact this guy." Yeah. So I looked into him a little bit more, but I've, I've never had a lesson with him. But man, I, I have great respect for him and his website, Hawaiian yeah. Steel. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. So basically, again, you know, like um, Lee, B- Lee, and Makia both were like, you know, you should just study with John, and he'll he'll get your technique going and, and, um, and I've taken about seven or eight lessons from him and it's been amazing. You know, he's just really amazing at, um, being able to see what you're doing and really kind of fix any kind of problems. Maybe, maybe, uh, explain some stuff that you're some breakthroughs or something that John has helped you with. I'd love to know. Yeah, well, I mean, just the right hand at first, I didn't have any concept. Um, And it's funny, like, there's a couple videos that have been posted on YouTube of me playing, um, kind of to my chagrin. Uh, (laughs) I'll explain. Um, But one of a couple of them were ones that I made and posted of some Don Helms transcriptions from the Hank Williams stuff. And I had no idea what I was doing. You know, I was just finding the notes. And But, like, if you look at my right hand, I'm still playing the guitar like it's a regular standard guitar. And I'm kind of strumming it like this. And and so I had no concept of palm blocking or the way that you're supposed to pick. Um, and so that was the first thing, you know, that John really just very clearly was able to express to me what I should be doing, what it should look like, what it should feel like. Um, and you know, um, it, it, so that, I mean, just getting that alone took, you know, 
took a couple months of really hard practice. And then what happened was um, I, I've got this Western swing band that I play guitar in. And so then I was getting really ambitious and started playing the steel on the gigs because I was learning the tunes and was comfortable enough to play some tunes and take some breaks and stuff. But what happened was I still didn't have my right hand dialed in to where it was natural. And when I would get up and perform, being kind of in that moment on stage, I would default back to kind of my old way. Yeah. And and it created some some bad things. So then I would take another lesson from John and he would say, okay, hold on, like what happened? Like your right hand looks terrible. Like everything that we worked on is gone. And, and then I was like, oh, wow, you know, I didn't even kind of realize it, you know. So then his suggestion was, look, you know, I think it's great that you're playing, taking the steel out on the gigs. But like, you know, his, his analogy was something to the effect of like the best golfers spend most of their time on the putting green or at the driving range, meaning, <laughs> meaning like you need to spend some serious time just getting your right hand to where it's natural. So I really took that to heart and just was, was there uh sorry to interrupt. Was no, there uh, any like detail? I'm, I'm kind of, cause I haven't had a lesson with John. I'm curious how he tr is trying to dial in your approach to the, the right hand. Is there any exercises or I know you don't have your steel right there, but just stuff you could tell us. Well, um, the one thing that I think a lot of people do is, over pick, you know, they're really picking hard and, um, pick, you know, like guitar players were picking like this, right. You know, on the guitar, whereas the, on the steel, you're going up and down like this and, and you, you don't really have to muscle it, you know, it should be a very light touch. Okay. And, and a lot of the, um, you hear a lot of people talk about some of the masters, um, like a Joaquin Murphy. Um, and apparently they had just like a very light touch, you know, to where it barely even looked like they were playing almost kind of like a classical guitarist, like a good classical guitarist when they play, they're so effortless in their tech, right hand technique, you know? Um, so, you know, there's a couple elements that I think are some barriers that are hard to overcome. I mean, obviously getting used to the picks is a big deal. Um, then working on the inversions of uh, being able to hit all the major and minor inversions. I'm talking C6 now uh, yeah. for the C6 tuning. Okay. So being able to just get those grips, you know, very accurately. Um, and then in combination, you know, um, being able to just be relaxed, you know, be relaxed and be really light. The other thing is like, um, I'll just go down a little bit is, you know, the hand needs to stay really straight and go back and forth like this. It shouldn't be doing things like this. So I was doing a lot of things where like I would go to grab an inversion and I would go like this or something, you know, I would, and I was, and you're basically screwing up the whole mechanism when you do that, you know. Ah, so, okay. so this has to say this has to stay completely straight, you know. And the elbow, the elbow is just supposed to move 
this way to reach wherever it is you're trying to reach. And so, you know, it's a combination of getting that kind of dialed in, getting the spacing of the grips dialed in, and then getting the relaxed feel. And then obviously getting the blocking to where, you, you know, you're, you're making contact with the strings so that you're accurately and effectively blocking. Um, okay. And I, and I did, I, I just, I really took his thing to heart about the, the, you know, the putting green kind of thing. And, and I just, I would just sit there, you know, and just with not even without barring the anything, it would just be my right hand. And I would just on an open, you know, open tuning, just, just do the blocking until it felt good, you know? And, and I think now it, it, it feels pretty good. I mean, I'm nowhere near where I need to be, obviously, but, but I, I do feel like I, I put in a bunch of time to where I got it to where I'm not regressing now. Oh, okay. Okay. Yeah. That's cool. Yeah. His, he, I, I really, I, I got to get back in touch with him. I'd love to have him on the podcast, but I was blown away at his website and I'll plug him too. I always plug his website on mm-hmm. my podcast, hawaiiansteel.com. You know, it, and he has something, <clears throat> some things on there where I don't know how he's done it or, you know, the, <laughs> the web, the, how, but he has the, you can choose whatever like model lap steel you have, you want. And he, he tells you the exact degree of the slant for whatever like scale length your, yeah. your instrument is, what brand your instrument is, what chord you want. Yeah. I mean, there are these little things, but you put in, you want, some chord or whatever and it'll bring up all these different necks yeah and if you want slants if you want straight bar i have never even seen something like that yeah and it's i feel like nobody really even knows that it's out there because it is absolutely incredible it's you a know, great a learning res- tool. yeah it's a great resource um yeah i mean he's um he's a he's a he's got a great mind you know and he's just um he's really uh i mean it's a kind of a rare thing to be super musical but then he's all he can be pretty analytical too like in terms of like just how he thinks about music and i mean that's been another cool thing is quite honestly i mean i've learned just as much almost about just music kind of taking lessons from him as i have steel technique you know and even things like um you know harmonizing and you know specific rules to kind of think about when you're harmonizing and um you know he's got classical training uh, on the piano so like he's he's pretty deep you know and and uh, okay uh, and and also his um just his delivery you know i had never taken a skype lesson before you know and and i didn't know i kind of thought oh it's going to feel weird there's going to be this barrier or something and but it's it's really great you know Wow. Yeah. He, he said he was really busy, you know, and, and that, that was, I guess, way, way in April. I never did contact him back really, uh-huh. you know, but I'm, I'm sure that he's probably booked up with, with students. I don't know though. That's just my guess. Well, and, and even like a one-off, um, even if you just did a one-off, you know, the, you, the, you, I think anybody, I mean, I know, like, I know there's been, um, pretty, um, um, accomplished players who will seek him out for advice and stuff, you know? So I I think anybody can benefit from talking with him. 
this is i just thought of this you said that you studied with with farid mm-hmm. hawk i got a funny story about about that farid is the teacher at northern right yeah northern uh, illinois university <laughs> yeah i don't even know i want to share this but anyways uh i actually auditioned there this mm. was one of my reality moments of uh the school of hard knocks of, of <laughs> music i guess uh i i didn't know much about jazz or anything you know really i i could play a a few things that I had worked out, but I, I was going up there from a small country town, you know, and mm-hmm. I thought, man, I'm going to learn jazz. And <laughs> anyways, go up there and, and drive. I don't know what, however far that was audition. And that was my first like big, like failure, you know, like he, he was like, yeah, you're, you're good. I mean, you're better than some, you're not as good as others. And, uh, you know, I d- didn't get in, into the program uh-huh. and, uh, ended up actually going to SIUE uh-huh. and studying jazz guitar there. But, that was that's my story, my Fareed story. He probably has no idea who I am. Yeah. <laughs> but, so you know. Rick Rick Hayden, right? He's a, yeah, he's, yeah, yeah, yeah. I know, I know him a little bit. He's great. Oh, okay. How do you know Rick? Um, you know, I just like I mentioned, I I I, I know uh, I know a bunch of guys from kind of that scene down there, and and oh, um, okay, yeah. So I, I don't know Rick <laughs> real well. I just know him kind of through association, and you know. Um, you know, uh, I think he was, well, we did some concerts down there at some point and that's where I first okay. met him. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. He was, he was great. I, yeah. I, I need to get back in touch with him. I, he, he actually, he was one of the first people to even tell me what a pedal steel even does. I remember oh, cool. I was, yeah, I was in college and I had no idea. He's like, yeah, you got to use your feet and you have to use your uh-huh. knees. I'm like, what? <laughs> like, that sounds like the worst instrument in the world. Yeah. <laughs> you know, that sounds terrible. <laughs> and then, uh, you know, he was all into Buddy Emmons and, and yeah. uh, he, he showed me a, a Lenny Bro Buddy Emmons oh, album. Yeah. Uh, that's oh, a great one. Yeah. That's still one of my favorite, uh, Miners Allowed, I uh-huh. think is the name of that yeah. one. Yeah. But, uh, Anyways, yeah, man. Well, I see, and maybe our listeners and viewers can see. Uh, you got some albums laid out there. Yeah. Let's get dive into some music. And <clears throat> yeah, um, I mean, I'll I'll bust out the records. I mean, I I did make a list. <laughs> I wrote some notes here. Um, cool. You know, like the first thing that Lee, when when I first met Lee, he one of the first things he said to me was, "You have heard Brisbane Bop, right?" And I said, no, what's that? I've never even heard of, I'll admit that. I, uh, okay. I'm not ashamed to. I've never even heard of that. <laughs> yeah, a lot of people haven't, and I hadn't either. And um, so there's a guitarist by the name of Jimmy Rivers, and um, and then the pedal steel player Vance Terry, who's just one of the legends, um, started out playing you know, just straight steel um, with Bob Wills and Billy Jack Wills. Um, well, anyways, Jimmy Rivers had a band called Jimmy Rivers and the Cherokees, and um, Vance was in that band, and they played in the Bay Area in this little town called Brisbane. Um, and Jimmy was never really recorded, um, um, and they had this long-standing gig at this club called the Twenty Three Club. And apparently uh, Vance would bring like a reel-to-reel and turn it on. And so there ended up being all these recordings um, that led to what is now known as Brisbane Bop. And, um, you know, I got that record and, I mean, my head totally spun. You know, not only hearing Jimmy Rivers, 
who is probably one of, I mean, he's, he's one of the greatest guitar players ever, you know? Um, and nobody knows about him cause he was never really recorded. Um, so that alone was like mind blowing, but then you've got Vance Terry on these records, just like completely burning it up. Um, and just like really hard driving stuff. So it was like this thing where like I was really into Hank Williams and Don Helms and then, but then like Brisbane Bop was like totally more to do with jazz, you know, than it is country, you know, it's like pretty hard driving, swinging stuff. Oh, cool. And so I was like, that just blew me away, you know? Um, so that record, um, I mean, you know, it's available. You can get it. You can get it on CD. Um, is just a must-have for any, any. I mean, really anybody, any guitarist or steel player should have that record. Now, I'm gonna just gonna throw this out there. I'm kind of, you know, a little ashamed, but also I, I kind of uh, really am glad that this is out there. Spotify, you know, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, I've heard that it's not. I don't know how they they treat the artists, but I, I hope they treat them well. But um, it's amazing, you know. I, I subscribe to that every month, and you know, I don't know if that album would be on there, but maybe some of these albums. I mean, where would you find that album? Is it iTunes or Amazon? Um, or I think you gotta just. I don't. That's a little more underground. I think you got. I I don't know if it's on iTunes. Um, and I mean, I'll be completely honest. I mean, it's it's a. Um, I go back and forth, you know, I mean, Spotify is great on the one hand because like, it's this great resource. Um, yeah, there are some shady things I think that happen with it where there's a lot of people making a lot of money and then the artists aren't making money, you know? Um, but I mean, I'm not going to lie, you know, like I get a lot of music for free, like people just sending me stuff like, here's this record, you know, um, or here's this bootleg or here's this thing. Now, I kind of justify it in that I still buy music. You know, I still buy a lot of music. I still buy CDs. I buy records. Um, so, and I, and most of the stuff that gets shared around, um, is more stuff that isn't current. You know, like if, if somebody's putting out a CD, it's a friend of mine or something, I'm not going to share that with somebody. I'm going to say, here's this guy's CD, go buy it, you know? Yeah. But if it's some record from like 1940 that somebody's digitized and put on, you know, like I'm okay with that, you know? I think okay. it's, you know, because it's more of like a fair use kind of educational, or at least how that's how I justify it in my head. Okay. Um, <clears throat> so, but Brisbane Bop, um, the, there's a record company, and I think it's a German company, and it's called Bear Family Records. Okay. Um, and they have reissued a lot of these classic um, Western swing records. Um, and cool. I think Brisbane Bop came out on that Bear Records label. So you can go online and check that out. Cool. Um, <clears throat> so then um, – yeah, but you know, recent as of late, I've just been super into Hawaiian music. Um, you know, as much as I love um, Vance, like when you hear Vance, he's playing all this complicated stuff, and like his pedal steel had nineteen pedals on it. Um, the one that he played toward the end of his career, it had nineteen pedals, and he was just doing all this really advanced stuff, and um, 
for as much as I love that, and I do completely, um, you know, there's something about when you hear like Jules Ossie or Danny Stewart or one of these guys, and they're just playing like a single note melody with like a great sound. There's, there's something just as, you know, uh, exciting and amazing about that. And so that's been something lately that I've gotten really into. Um, I'll grab, I'll grab these, um, you know, I go into all these record stores, like where I live in Cincinnati, um, Kentucky is just right across the border. I actually teach in Kentucky. I teach at a college in Kentucky. And, you know, I go into these hole-in-the-wall record stores and find things like this, which is a little 78. It's called Hawaiian Reveries. It's Danny Stewart. Um, this, rec- this record had never been played before. It was completely brand new. Um, and it's just got four songs on it. Um, and it's, it's amazing, you know, so Danny Stewart. Um, and then there's the Hawaii calls show. Are you familiar with Hawaii calls? Yeah. I'm just getting kind of into it, but yeah, yeah. yeah. Alan's all about that. He's always talking about that. Right. So Hawaii calls was a really influential thing because, um, it was, a um, it was a radio show that featured all these guys like Jules, Barney Isaacs, and David Kalei. Um, and at the height of Hawaii Calls, there was like 750 radio stations across the world that were getting it. Um, so, wow. so that was like, for a lot of people, like you talk to a lot of these older guys, and that was some of their first contact with steel. Um, and so they would hear that and it, you know, I mean, obviously it, it was, I think it started in the late thirties and then it went all the way into like the seventies. I think it was a very long running show. Um, so it was super influential. Um, so there's all these little 78s of Hawaii calls, um, that I've picked up and, I mean, you'd be surprised. I mean, I go into these hole-in-the-wall record stores that just have, like, really junky records, and then you <laughs> you look, and then all there's all this Hawaiian stuff. Um, That's so cool. Yeah. And and so, but my I think my all-time favorite is this record. It's called Hawaiian Favorites. And um, Is this, this the one with Alfred Apaka? No, no this one is... Um, this one is David Kalei, and this is just the ten inch that um, there's a rec, the, there's a bigger long LP that came out, and it's it's like a double release with David Kalei, um, but on the record, his name is Akoni Lani. Um, and I don't know, it must have been a publishing thing. He changed his name on the record. And then the second half is Danny Stewart. And But the David Kalei stuff, or the Akani Lani, I'm probably saying it wrong because I don't know how to pronounce any of these words, <laughs> these yeah, names correctly. Um, they're all instrumental from from David Kalei. And, um, and it's just, it's unbelievable. I mean... Um, and you can find the the LP 
um, or the CD with the double with the Danny Stewart stuff. I, f- I got this on eBay, you know, and um, and I I think I've seen it a couple times since. Um, so this you can get the ten inch. Um, just curious on on I'm just now getting into buying vinyls, uh-huh. and I bought three on eBay, <laughs> and with shipping and everything, I mean, I was looking at. Probably I don't know ten fifteen dollars probably fifteen dollars a uh, album aside yeah is that about right what's the price on albums it depends or? you know um, I'm I'm like Mister Thrifty so like I go I want to find like the fifty cent and dollar records oh me too <laughs> but like on eBay I wanted this one and I think I I think I spent like twelve or fourteen bucks or something on this one. Um, and- and the other question I, I was curious about is like these old albums like that, like the ones that I got, they, the album itself is in great condition, right? Yeah. The actual record, uh-huh. the, the case looks all yellowed. And I'm like, is this actually from 1951 or is it like a reprint? I mean, how do you, how can you tell if it's um, a reprint or if it's a lot of them will be like the, the label. Um, so like this is a capital record and you can tell that this is an original, um, I'll show you some other ones that are like, I think reprints um, where maybe like a, a secondary label picked it up and put it out after, but yeah, I mean, this, this is, this is an original, you know, and I don't know what year it's from, but it's, um, you know, it's, it's definitely from probably the late fifties, but like David Kalei on this, there's a track, um, and it's it's my little grass shack is the tune okay and i mean he plays to in my mind one of the greatest solos ever i mean he um to the point in which he does this uh, this muting effect the solo kind of has three almost three sections he plays this like muted effect where it'd be like like palm muting on a guitar or something it's like very muted but he makes the steel sound like a ukulele almost and he plays these lines with this muted style super clean um you can hear every note but it's got this great muted effect i didn't even i thought it was a ukulele when i first heard it i was like oh i've never i've never heard a ukulele take a single note solo that's pretty cool well then and the, then he then he transitions into more of like a typical kind of steel sound and then he does another thing where he kind of goes into this other thing and it's just this like amazing story and 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 I think he only played um I think he just played six string you know a lot of, a lot of the guys are playing eight string um steel and I think he just played six string he might have played eight but but um yeah, he's he's one of my favorites for sure. Um, but what they, tuning? But, do you know what tuning he might have been in there? <clears throat> he, um, I think he was famous for the G11 tuning, which is a pretty interesting tuning. You can go on John's site and see that. And you can kind of hear, I've never messed with that tuning, but you can hear the way he plays that there's something different going on because he kind of gets some different chords at times. Hmm. Um, so those, those are all really cool. Um, I also really like, there's a record label called Waikiki, uh, records and they were made in Hawaii. 
And like this one is called Do the Hula. And, and it's all about basically like from what I gather, it was for tourists who would go to Hawaii and they would they could buy it. And it has a book inside and it shows you like the steps. Um, and, and I have another one that like has like a little log that like you could write like which islands you visited and, and things like that. Um, but, uh, but it's got, you know, it's got like Barney Isaac, Isaacs and Pua Maida and, um, all, all these great, you know, it's got re- the really authentic music on it. Um, so I really like the Waikiki record label. And then this other one is kind of cool. Um, this one, um, I did a little research on this one. This guy, his name is, again, I'm going to butcher the name, Duke Kahana Maku. He was apparently like a very famous athlete um, who became, you know, uh, some kind of spokesman for, you know, Hawaiian culture or something to that effect. And, and And it's his favorite, you know, tunes or whatever. So, like, you know... I I just bought the record because it was the record label that I knew that I liked, and uh, I I thought he was maybe the the musician on the record, but it turns out he's not. Um, there's um, Andy Cummings is another uh, singer who's great. Um, there's some slack key stuff on here which is cool, um, but so like I guess my point in showing these is that you can find some really cool, authentic um, Hawaiian music on some of these records that might kind of look hokey if you didn't, if you're not quite sure, you know, Um, because there are some bad ones. There's some pretty, like, I've got a lot of um, Hawaiian records that I've bought, like, for 50 cents that are very kind of like Hollywood, and they're, and they're, and there's not a whole lot of good steel playing on it. It's, um, but I do like them because they have the songs, you know. Um, yeah, you had mentioned uh, on on a Facebook post. This was actually went, what made me kind of dig into into you a little bit. Where you said uh, I I posted the picture of the the vinyl that I had just bought, and you said that something about uh, I forget how you put it, but it was over overly produced or something. Yeah. Not that album, but certain albums. What what would you say are things that turn you off about? albums um well you know for instance when i first found out about alfred apaka um i there's this famous recording and it's called the tapa room tapes or the tapa room tapes and it's like a bootleg that um that was recorded um from uh from the hotel where alfred apaka and jules Assi played at and it's just like the most amazing stuff I mean, you just cannot believe how good this stuff is. And so, you know, I was like, wow, Alfred Apaka, I got to go get some records. And I, and I went and got a record and I brought it home. And it was nothing like the Top of Room tapes. It was, it, it had like full kind of like schmaltzy choir kind of singing. And, and there was like big string arrangements. And um, it was nothing like this kind of small group kind of hot, hot, steel playing thing that I heard on this tapper room tapes. Um, or another example is, um, I had bought a record and it was, it was called like Aloha Hawaii or something. And I, it didn't have any of the 
credits on it or but it had good tunes on it you know it had all the tunes that i've been wanting to learn and so i bought it and it was good you know i i, I liked it and um then i found another record and it was some other name and i bought it and then it turned out that it was actually the same record packaged with different uh <laughs> packaged with different labels different different names of the groups and apparently they would just get like some la guys you know which I don't know who they were. They were good players, you know, but they would just like kind of package them as like make up some fake Hawaiian name and, and then put them out, you know? And so see, I I wonder if it's the, the, the albums that I got, uh, are by the Polynesians, uh, uh two of them, at least do you, are you, have you listened to any, any of those? I forget who who plays steel with them. It's tough. I mean, it, you know, I I always like to say, like, you know, I'm, I feel like I'm a little bit of an armchair historian where, like, I feel like I know a lot and I'm really enthusiastic about all of it and I have tons of music. But then, you know, you meet these people who are just, like, walking encyclopedias and they know every fact. And, you know, and those are the kind of people that I seek out and try to, you know, like, like a Lee Jeffries, they just they can tell you what guitar and amp was played on that record and blah, blah, blah. <laughs> um so in terms of that, there's so many names, you know, it's hard to know who is who. Um, and there's all these names like the, you know, the Hawaiian serenaders or the Polynesians yeah. or this or that. And, and some of them are legit, you know, some of them are like, oh yeah, that was the group that, you know, Barney Isaacs played in, or that was the group that Puameda had or whatever. Um, but then there's some that are like, oh, that's just a fictitious made-up name from, <laughs> you know, some L.A. record or something. You okay. Know? Yeah, I only mentioned that group because you had mentioned L.A. And I think Alan had mentioned that the Polynesians, I could get this wrong, but fr- from what I remember, uh, they were out of Hollywood. And mm-hmm. they were one of those Hollywood kind of groups. And I forget who played Steel on it, but man, it, it has a very cool, unique sound to where it's almost... Like every lyric is harmonized with the voices yeah. and, you know, lots of really cool lap steel. But uh-huh. I kind of got into them. A friend of mine, uh, he had an album and a vinyl album. And I went over to his house and he's playing. I said, I was just like, that is so cool. It I'm just sure. made me, yeah. you know, it's like a good memory or something. I'm sure so it's great. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm still, I'm still trying to learn all the names, you know. Oh, me too, for sure. Absolutely. Well, that's why I'm, I'm talking with you. Yeah. yeah what what yeah. else you got over there on the... Um, well, the uh, you know you can't talk about the steel guitar without talking about Jerry Bird, you know. So um, I've got a lot of Jerry Bird records, um, and you know some are some are really really good, and some are just okay. I mean, there's always good playing on them, um, but you know, like the earlier ones um, on the Mercury label or or what I consider to be the best. So like this Shores of Waikiki is really great. Um, and it's got a lot of authentic um, singing on it. Um, but And then obviously the steel playing is amazing. Um, this one is called Hi-Fi Guitar. Um, and it's got, it's got him holding that great seven string Rick on the front. This one's more, it's less Hawaiian on this one. It's a little more kind of, western swingy i guess you would say and um okay. but there are some like mood of manacoras on there um he does he does some stuff um so 
I love all these all these Jerry Bird ones. Um, this one, Admiral Bird, is really great, and it's got this um, track on here. I'll be all smiles tonight, um, which I think is a somewhat famous track. In that he, and I think he was trying to make a statement, like basically he he makes the non-pedal sound like a pedal. Like when you hear it, if you, if you told, you know, if you said that's, if I told you it's a pedal steel, you would have, you'd believe me because the way the techniques and stuff that he does with the bar slants and stuff, it's just unbelievable. Um, and you, and that's on YouTube. You can pull that up on YouTube and hear it. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I should. I, you know, that tune is a real popular, uh, brother Oswald tune in the uh, Dobro world. Oh, you know? oh, okay. Oh yeah. Everybody wants to learn. <laughs> I'll be all smiles tonight by brother Oswald. Okay. You know, yeah. yeah are you hip to him at all? The... No, not, not so much. Um, but that's one of the aspects of this whole kind of journey that I've just really been infatuated with is the repertoire, you know, because like, I know it's, I know a ton of jazz standards, and I've been learning jazz standards for like the last twenty five years or whatever. Um, and I've always been really into learning those songs and digging in and checking out versions and doing transcriptions and trying to figure out what the changes were and stuff. Um, not just relying on a lead sheet kind of thing. And and um, and like with this music, there's just this whole other set of tunes that go along with it. So. Um, and the melodies are amazing and the, you know, so it's, it's been really cool to like get that whole bag of tunes, you know, going, um, nice. and, um, yeah, so that tune I wasn't really familiar with until, you know, until I heard that version. Um, and then just a couple other records, these are more okay. classic Western swing records. Um, this is a Leon McAuliffe record. Um, oh, cool on the star day label um star day was in a uh, nashville label um that put out a ton of stuff and um he's he's on the cover here with his triple um um fender um no it's a quad i'm sorry yeah it's a quad um string master and uh this is just an amazing record um really pretty hot stuff um and then uh, just two others that worthy of note, I think this uh, the Bob Wills Tiffany transcriptions stuff um, features a lot of Noel Boggs, who um, you know is just I don't know. There's something about Noel Boggs, not, nobody else sounds like him. Um, there's I don't know what it is, but uh, he's great. And then this record, um, Johnny Gimble. Um, and the uh, Texas Swing Pioneers um, features Deacon Anderson, um, and he's a trip, man. Like he only plays six string um, lap steel, um, and and I've heard people say, you know, like who knew him, they said, yeah, like he did more with six strings than people did with like, you know, three neck pedal steel guitars, you know. <laughs> really? And there's some great. Uh, YouTube footage of him playing. Um, if you just pull up that Johnny Gimbal Western Swing Pioneers, type it in there. You'll you'll be able to see Deacon Anderson, and I mean he plays with some serious fire. It's pretty amazing. Huh. Um. <clears throat> so, you know, but then there's a lot of um, 
trying to think of other people. Um, and I was going to pick your brain too, yeah. not to interrupt you. No, but go I, ahead. Uh, I specifically am curious about albums with Joaquin Murphy and oh, Jules yeah. I See because it seems like I can't find much. Well, definitely on Spotify, and even when I look on YouTube and stuff, I can't find a whole lot on on those two guys. There's like a couple videos, but not not much. You know, there's I think there's more Joaquin on on YouTube than there is Jules. Um, there's definitely like no video of Jules. Um, that I'm aware of, you know, he died when he was 36. Um, he, he died really young. Um, and, and so I don't think there's any video of him. Um, and, uh, there's, there's a couple things of Joaquin. Um, yeah. So Joaquin Murphy, I mean, geez, what a story, man. This guy, like, um, there's a great book and it's called Southwest or Southwest Boogie. And it's like a whole history of Western swing um, that, that everybody should read if they're in, into this music. Cause it really highlights a lot of these important kind of things taught and it gives kind of frames how it all happened. But Joaquin Murphy, you know, part of the Western swing thing that's funny is that like they made up, like it was kind of like a, produced thing like by these LA producers who had this idea of like creating like these cowboy bands to appeal to a lot of the people who had migrated out to California, you know, during the thirties and forties. Um, so they, you know, they say, we're going to make these bands. And, and, uh, I mean, the people were already playing the music, but they didn't call it Western swing. They, it was just, they just had like fiddle bands. They called it like fiddle music or something. And, um, but then they started kind of like producing these concerts and dances and dressing all the guys up in cowboy boots and these, like the nudie suits and, and, um, and then they would give them these names, you know, they would say like, your name's Joaquin Murphy, you know, well, Joaquin Murphy's real name was Earl, you know, his name was Earl Murphy, um, or, you know, Speedy West, you know, like all these names, um, so they're kind of like these fabricated names. So that really? in it, that in itself is is a trip. But what like, year? What, around what year are we talking here? I'm just curious. Um, like you know, like forties. That's okay. kind of, yeah. I mean, late thirties, and then you know, through the forties, and then by like you know the real kind of height of the Western swing era, kind of it wasn't very long, like by the mid fifties, it was kind of changing, you know, then rock and roll and country Western were really taking over. Um, um, and it's not to say that those bands didn't still play or those musicians weren't still active. There was just a time when, especially on the West coast, when that stuff was a big deal and it was like the popular thing. Hmm. Um, and there'd be these dances where, you know, hundreds, you know, thousands of people would come out and, 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 uh, they were broadcasting a lot of it on the radio and <clears throat> Joaquin Murphy, he was a virtuoso, you know, like he was a young kid. Um, the other thing that you got to realize too, is that, you know, through Hawaiian music and the Hawaii calls broadcasts and stuff, there was a bit of a Hawaiian craze that, that reached America where, um, they would they had these um schools where you could uh take 
lap steel lessons and and because it was a portable instrument and it was affordable you know kids could buy them you know and um and they would go and they would take lessons and they would and there'd be big classes and stuff and and um and so the Hawaii the Hawaiian craze kind of swept the country to where you know like the Oahu guitar companies from Cleveland Ohio of all places you know huh. um and and so the the steel guitar was kind of like this household thing where like you know it was very much a thing so what i'm getting at is like Joaquin Murphy kind of came up through that and you know by the time he was you know i don't know like 16 or 17 he was like playing at a virtuosic level you know and and he um the story goes that he auditioned Spade Cooley who was the big the famous band leader um one of the big famous western swing band leaders had this great orchestra and they had string sections and horn sections it was a big band and they had sophisticated arrangements you know very sophisticated music um they were auditioning for musicians um and you know Joaquin Murphy was like 17 or 18 years old and he auditioned for the band and they heard him play and that was it you know he was so good that um he just became part of that band so you can hear him on a lot of those Spade Cooley records and okay. and those are those are available on CD um or if you search Spade Cooley on on YouTube there's a lot of Joaquin on that stuff um but then, you know, I mean, a lot of these guys had pretty rough lives where like, you know, he, I read somewhere a quote from Joaquin where he said like, you know, he, he worked like nonstop, like gigs for like 10 or 12 years. And then all of a sudden one day all that work like stopped and like, wow. and it just dried up, you know? And so here's this guy who's arguably one of the greatest players ever. And, um, you know, he didn't have any gigs. And to the point with, in which, like, he ended up washing cars for a living and had, oh, and, and had like, a serious alcohol problem um, and didn't even own a steel guitar. Hmm. Um, and so, like, like, Lee Jeffries and some of those guys from – that's the scene like in like the early nineties who were li living in LA. Chaz Smith is another guy. Um, there's, and it's, it's well documented like on the steel guitar forum and you can talk to, I mean, Lee, you should definitely have Lee on this podcast. I mean, you could do like a multi-volume podcast with just <laughs> Lee and it would just really? be amazing. I mean, I always, I feel like with guys like him and there's a bunch of these guys um, who were really active like in the late 80s, early 90s, when a lot of these old guys were still around. So like Lee hung out with Joaquin Murphy. Um, and, wow. and so like they um, – like Joaquin was just living in a trailer park and like no didn't – hadn't even played guitar for like 20 years. And like Chaz Smith – like they got him a guitar, they took it to Joaquin's house and they said like, man, you got to have a guitar. Like you're the greatest player ever, you know, and you don't even have a guitar. And they kind of like brought him out of, um, out of this kind of real 
dark period and and um they recorded him a little bit later on and it but it was right before, and then he he got sick and he passed um um but you know so like <clears throat> and there's a lot of stories like that with some of these some of these masters who you know they fell on hard times and, and it was unfortunate um well, kind of uh, fast forwarding to the present, I wanted to talk if you, if you've got some time. I don't know how your oh, time is. Oh, I got plenty of time, man. Yeah. Okay. Cool. Cool. I'm enjoying this too. Uh, um, fast forward to the present day, and kind of what got me into diving into the Western swing stuff was Wayne Hancock and his oh yeah his different albums. I don't know what it is about that guy, but I love his albums and then yeah. the, the players that are, are playing on them. And uh, maybe, you know, you know, a lot of the, the players that are on those albums, but who, who are some modern day players that you're kind yeah. of, into now? man, I'm so glad you asked that. Um, you know, I've already mentioned Lee a bunch, um, you know, and he was just, again, just, this huge education for me. Um, so he hit me to Jeremy Wakefield. Oh um, yeah. Okay. So if you don't know his name, he's somebody that you got to check out. Unbelievable player. Um, I already mentioned Makia, Makia Matsuda. Um, he's amazing. Um, he's really into the Hawaiian thing. Um, um, Mike near, um, just has put out a CD of all of Thelonious Monk's music. Um, and I've heard some of the demos of it and I mean, it's just amazing. So I know the record's going to be amazing and it's already like getting ton of great feedback. So I think that record is going to be like a classic, you know? Um, so I would encourage everybody to go out and buy that record because not only is Mike a great player, He's now he's kind of tackling this whole body of music of Thelonious Monk's music that really nobody's really ever done before on steel. So that's really great. How and cool it, is that? Yeah. yeah, and it's not like gimmicky, you know. It's it's like it's legit and it's very musical. And um, so Mike is great. Um, Jeff Ahoy, I think oh, is yeah. how you pronounce his last name. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I mean, I, I've just heard him on YouTube and stuff, um, and I actually messaged him to see if he had any records because, I mean, that guy's amazing, you know, just his touch and his sound. Um, and then, you know, Bobby Ngano, um, I heard a thing of his trio on YouTube. There's like a little 30-minute video of his trio doing a concert. And, I mean, I'd love to talk to him because when I hear him, it sounds to me like he's really like been influenced by David Kalehi because that thing I was talking about with that solo, like I hear that in his sound. Um, <laughs> and I, and, I mean, you could probably say that you, everybody's probably been, you know, any Hawaiian player would be influenced by David Kalehi, but um, I'd like to talk to him about that. Um, I think those, those guys, uh, I don't know if you ever, you know, are, are thinking about going to this, but the Maui Steel Guitar Festival, you know, Alan's, have you heard about that at all? I mean, I want to go to all that stuff. I just, okay. Yeah, okay. I just, you know, there's one in Fort Collins too, right? In Colorado. Yeah, it's actually next week. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I'd totally be there if I could, you know. Yeah, yeah, I hear you. Yeah, I but, wish I could. I have a gig next weekend, so I, I can't yeah. go to that one. But, you know, I met Bobby, and he is the coolest nicest guy man he just sits back and he's like oh troy he sets you know he got done with his set and he comes up hey brother you yeah, know yeah. just so 
these Hawaiian guys are like literally the coolest, nicest people you'll yeah. ever meet. Yeah. Most laid back, most uh, humble. Yeah. You know, like when they're playing their solos, it's not like sometimes in the bluegrass world, you know, uh, and maybe rock and jazz even, it's always like, you know, I got to play so good, you know, I got to, yeah. I got to make sure I like, wow, knock, everybody. Knock it out of the park. Yeah. Yeah. And these guys are just like laid back. It's like, I got to play so pretty. That's their, their yeah. thing, you know? Well, honestly, like that's what I love about, um, what I'm doing right now. I mean, I still play a lot of jazz and I, and I work a lot as a jazz musician and I love it. I mean, anytime I'm playing music, I love it, you know, but like, honestly, the, um, the, the steel has just brought me to this whole place and that's kind of the essence of what it is like of what you're talking about where like um it's it's um i i feel that it really relate uh people really relate to it so like when my band plays like we have a we have uh a, two gigs a week at this bar um uh, Wednesdays and Saturdays wow and, that's cool man yeah yeah it's been a blessing and like um you know, there's just this connection, you know, like people come in and like, we have all these swing dancers who dance. So like, so like there's these dancers there and like, and then like, you know, we get people who come in who are like, love jazz and they relate to it because like what we're improvising and we're playing like jazz standards, but then there's like country music lovers who love it because they love country. And then there's like, people who just like look at what we're doing we've got like my buddy Cameron plays pedal steel in the band and I've got a steel and a guitar and we've got fiddle and vocals and like people just like are drawn into the music and it's just there's like an authenticity about it to where like you know we're just playing one four and five you know we're not we're not trying to play giant steps or like some you know inner urge Joe Henderson tune or something you know like trying to play like you know whatever hip you know, augmented scale lick we just learned from Michael Brecker or something like, it's just like, you know, we're, it's just super, it's exactly what you just said. And like, it's so refreshing, you know, and I've, I've never felt better about playing music, you know what I mean? And, and, and actually like the band, we, we get a lot of work for that very fact that like people see us, we're having a ton of fun, you know? And what's the name of your band? It's called the Midwestern Swing. The Midwestern Swing. Okay. And do you, you guys uh, have a website? That, yeah, that... it's the midwesternswing.com. And um, oh. we've got some videos up on YouTube. Um, we're talking about doing a record here soon. Um, but we're just, we're not really kind of in a rush to do that. We're just like playing a lot. We've been traveling. We went up, we've gone up to New York a couple times. We're going down to Nashville here in a couple weeks to play. Um, which I'm actually a little nervous about. <laughs> where are you playing in Nashville? Uh, we're playing at this place called The Country. Okay. Um, I don't know that one, but and, that's... You know, I, I I don't really ever get nervous playing because um, <laughs> I'm so used to playing. But I got to say, like, um, Chris Scruggs is somebody that I really look up to. And I don't know if you've heard him play at all. Uh-uh. Oh man, he's just like unbelievable. And like he can, I mean, he can play everything. He plays like every instrument and he can sing, but he's like a killer steel player. And Chris plays regularly at this place we're going to go to. And, um, 
I want to message him and say like, Hey man, like we're playing, like, it'd be great to see you or something. I've never met him or anything, but I've always just been a fan of his music. And, but, but secretly I'm a little like nervous because it's <laughs> like, this guy's like the real deal. Uh, um, but he's, he's a guy who's great. Um, who's playing now. Um, Joel Patterson is another guy. He's in Chicago. Um, and he's, he's, it seems like he plays guitar more than he plays steel, but I've heard him play steel and he's amazing. Um, both pedal and non-pedal. Um, and, uh, um, Basil Hendricks is another guy. He's in the UK and he's a veteran man. Like he's been around, like he's got so much history and he's done so much cool stuff. And he's kind of like this genius Jack of all trades where like he's, recording engineer he does like he's making these tone bars right now i'm actually getting one from him he's huh. um he's 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 pretty amazing and then he can just play his butt off um and he's really heavy in the hawaiian thing um and then john ely of course you know um he was in asleep at the wheel um for a long time and uh and and then he lived in hawaii for for a while uh, i don't know that whole history really but um and I, but I don't think he has any records that you can buy. I have him on one "Asleep at the Wheel" record where hmm. you, you can hear him playing. Um, but you know, there's just—I mean, there's there's so many guys, you know. So there's a lot, you know. There's a lot of um, players now who are really great, you know. Yeah, yeah. Some of those those ones, and maybe you know more about them than I do. But I've just heard their names on the Wayne Hancock albums. You oh know, yeah, like Tony Locke. Uh, I don't know his name. Okay, I'm going to try to get him on the podcast, but uh, yeah, he's out of Austin. I know uh, Rose Sinclair is Rose. playing. She's with him now, and uh, they were just in Cincinnati, and I was actually, I missed them. I was in California. I went to go teach at a jazz camp in California, and, oh. and, th- and they came through town, and I was bummed because I wanted to see them. Another guy, there's two other guys. Um, they're not current, but, well, kind of current. Um um, Chuck Rich is a real um, veteran on the scene here in Cincinnati. He was on the um, WLW Midwestern Hayride, um, which was a uh, radio show that was a big deal back in the day. Okay. Um, and he was a staff musician on that show. Um, and there's a bar called Bobby Mackey's, um, and it's a real honky tonk. I mean, super authentic honky tonk. Um, and there's the band, um, Bobby Mackey's band, Chuck Rich plays in that band and they play every Friday and Saturday. And, um, he's, uh, he's amazing, you know, and he's in his seventies and he's still going at it. Um, and then the other guy that I just learned about, um, who's not with us anymore. I don't don't think he's, I don't think he's living. I, I'd hate to say that if he actually was, but I don't think he is. Um, his name is um, Lloyd Baker, and he was from Cincinnati. And from what I understand, he was one of the first uh, or one of the early Fender endorsers. Um, and he, he was really great um, and uh, just worth mentioning his name. Um, but, uh, yeah, I mean, there's just all these players, you know, and like i it's really humbling for me because, you know, I've been around on the music scene for a long time and, and I've, and I've been playing professionally 
but then all of a sudden now with the steel, it's like, I'm starting at the beginning, man. I'm like, I'm like a baby, you know, and I'm just hanging on for dear life, you know, but like, it's, it's just really cool to um, be in that situation. I think in a lot of ways, because I mean, I love, I love the guitar, but in a lot of ways, like I've played the guitar for so long, it's just kind of what I do. Um, I can't say that I'm in love with the guitar. Like it's just, it's just my way of playing music, but with the steel, like I, <laughs> I'm really in love with that instrument, you know? <laughs> yeah. And it's like, I, I mean, I obsess about it, you know, I think about it a lot and, and it's every aspect, you know, the guitars, like I'll, I'll bust out this guitar that I just got. Yeah. This is the uh, Fender that you saw on that picture. It's just a oh. single. It's called the Deluxe 8. Um, it's a 66. Um, now, is that like a Stringmaster, but only one neck or something? Right, yeah. So okay. it's it's exactly like a Stringmaster, um, but they called it the Deluxe 8. And um, Is it old? or? Yeah, it's a 66. Okay. I, bought, I was just out in California over the summer teaching at a camp. And I went to, I needed, I had borrowed this, I borrowed a six string guitar to play like a, you know, standard guitar to teach the camp with. And it had kind of a crappy string on it. So I needed to go buy a guitar string and I'd always wanted one of these guitars, but I couldn't find a good one for a good price. And I went to the first guitar store that I could find that had guitar strings. And lo and behold, this was sitting in the window. And I thought, I thought, oh man, why now i'm now i'm gonna have to buy this thing because i just had to have it and i love this guitar it's just um it's there's something about it it just feels so good and it's got um it's just got the sound and i love that it's just one neck there's something about it's just really portable and small and yeah. it, it's got legs you know it's got it's got the legs that you put in it oh, okay. and it's, so it's it's like a console you know um what scale length? It's a short scale, which is, okay. I think it's 22 and a half. I think that's the measurement. Now, this is something that I'm real curious about because I've been mm -hmm. looking for the string masters online, you know, and I'm yeah. curious, how how does that scale length, like, do you think that a shorter scale makes the bass sound thinner or longer scale feels better? What do you think? Well, honestly, I'm not an authority on this stuff. Um, somebody like Lee or Basil... Those guys know guitars like in and out. Um, I can tell you what I do know, um, but it's not much. Um, I know that the scale length, there's pluses and minuses to, you know, I think, um, I think the longer the scale, you get a lot of sustain um, because the, the strings are long. I may be wrong with that though, but that's my, that's my general kind of understanding. I think slanting becomes an issue. I think with the longer scale length, I think the slants come. So I think it's easier to slant on these. Um, and, um, I, you know, I think the, I think the tunings maybe like might lend it certain tunings might lend itself to different scale lengths. Okay. Um, but yeah, that would be a that would be a question for some of these older veteran guys that really know this stuff. Um, 
but I just know that I love this guitar. It feels great, oh, and yeah. uh, there's there's something about because I have a I also have a Gibson um, double neck. It's a D8. It's like a 1957. Uh, the model is called a C530, and it's kind of like Gibson's version of the dual um, professional which is a Fender model, um, and it's a short scale, and it sounds cool, but it feels completely different than this one. Um, and it's funny because it's actually um, akin to, like if you've ever played a 335, mm-hmm. Gibson 335, and then you've played a Strat, that's kind of the difference between these guitars. The Gibson it feels like a 335, like you got to work to play it a little harder. It's a little oh. bit. It's a little bit less forgiving. Whereas this, it feels like a strat, man. You know, it's just like it's got <laughs> it's got this buttery kind of real. I don't know. It's it's a cool thing. Now, are, are those the stock pickups? Oh know? yeah, yeah. Everything's original. And see, the cool thing about these guitars is these these are single coils, and they're both on all the time. Um, but it's got a blend pot in here. There's a little there's a pot that you can you can mix you can mix in so you can have just what the this pickup on which is a little darker or just this one which is brighter just like a normal guitar would be but then you can blend them you know together to make it humbucking you know so um, that blend pot and then mixed with the tone control it's got a lot of tonal range I mean it can there's I can make it sound really dark, and then yeah. within that within that dark setting, there's a bunch of different sounds that I can get, or I can make it sound really bright. But within that bright setting, I feel like I can get so it's it's really varied, you know. That's um, cool. You know, I, I've yeah. always seen that that knob. I never knew what that thing was for until right now. That's yeah, that's it's cool. a it's a blend pot, and it's um, yeah. I mean, I you know, I would love to get a maybe a double neck string master at some point, but I'm, I don't need anything right now. I'm completely happy, you know, working with this thing. And what tuning are you in there? Um, it's the, it's C six with the, uh, the, um, low string tuned up a half step to B flat. So it's not quite the jewels. I see tuning, but, um, Jules Assis tuning would be like a low C, like a really thick string on the low string tuned to C, and then a B flat, and then a C, and because of the low string taking off the G and just having a high E. Um, but so that's like a classic Hawaiian tuning that Jules and other guys used. Um, but this is just. I've got the G on top okay. with the B flat. So I can get the dominant chords down here. Um, and so that's basically what I'm working with. Um, okay. And one of John's um, bits of advice was to really stick with C6, um, you know, for a while. You know, I've I've messed with other tunings. I've messed with... I've got B11. I've got a. I've got another guitar. I've got B11 on that tuning, which is another classic Hawaiian tuning. Um, and then I've got this version of the David Kalei G11 on another <laughs> on another guitar that's a 
fun one to check out. I've just been very lightly dabbling in that one. Um, but doing the C6 nice. full on. Yeah. Yeah. I've got, um, the Asher, you know, the, it's, it's kind of like Allen's, but it's the student model. Okay. I don't have it here. It's, you, you can see it in the videos, Yeah, but, uh, you know, because I'm a dobro player, that's really like my main instrument. I would think uh, uh-huh. that root third fifth on the top three strings is like just second nature to me. I love that. Right. So the the the, the Hawaiian tuning, the jewels I see, and the one that Alan really teaches on with the third on top, yeah, throughout all my shapes and stuff, yeah. where I could really. So I I have been primarily on all gigs I, on in the Hawaiian band. So Western swing in the Hawaiian band. I've relearned everything to A6 tuning, you know? Uh-huh. So all I got to do is drop one string, and I've got that B11 sound, you know? And yeah, it's, it makes more sense to me, you know, just the root third fifth on top. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Yeah. Um, I've asked John about it, and he feels like there, he feels like he doesn't – he feels like he can play everything – you know, without the high G. Um, Uh, and I think, I think the benefit of just like, if you're doing like chords, you know, and you can get that big low bass note, obviously that's, you know, I'm, I could see how once you go there, you would (laughs) want, it would be hard to get rid of it. Um, but, but for now, like, like you said, having the symmetry, I think of like the, the root three, five up top, and then you've got it at the bottom too. I think that's, important for me right now i'm in the well. same boat yep. yeah 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 well very yeah. cool yeah man nice well man uh thanks for for doing the podcast we can probably uh wrap it up and man this is you got absolutely you're, you're uh, uh and this is what I, I had a feeling that you'd be a, a a resource of information you know to tap uh, into well thanks man i appreciate it i really appreciate it i'm super passionate about all of this and feel super lucky to be you know having all these people to kind of reach out to and you know and all those men- those names that I mentioned you know those would be good people to reach out to um to to chat with you know okay um I, I you know if you're looking for people um but yeah, yeah and, I, and I appreciate what you're doing I, I gotta dig into those Alan Akako series that you've done because you've done a bunch of those it seems like at this point yeah, yeah. Me and Alan, uh, we meet every two weeks, and it started as me taking lessons from him. Uh-huh. And then I noticed that he kept telling these great stories, you know? I mean, of mm. like Billy Hugh Lynn and him like hanging out with Billy Hugh Lynn. I'm like, wow. Man, I'm like, I wish I had this recorded. Then all of a sudden, I, I was getting into learning about what podcasting was, you know? And then I thought, wait a second. And I brought the idea up to him, you know? And so every two weeks, our lesson is the podcast. So. That's you know, great. We kind of figure out spur of the moment what we're going to talk about. And I try to tap into all of his little stories that he's got. Cause he's, man, he's really humble, you know, but yeah. he's, he's played with the guys, you know. You know, one thing um, I see, you'll ask a question, you'll say, what should we talk about, you know, on the, on the, con- <laughs> and, and I think at one time I asked about vibrato. I said, ask him about vibrato. Cause that's something that I've been really consciously working on because, you know, I had, I talked about working on my right hand. Well, I got my right hand somewhat together, but I had no clue about what to do with this, you know? And so John kind of got me working on vibrato and, but it's, to me, it seems so um, individual and personalized and, and, and I would Mm -hmm. love to hear as many people as possible talk about their approach, how they worked on it. You know, what are they, 
I mean, I have a general concept, but, you know, just hearing somebody like Alan talk about that, that'd be amazing. Yeah, he did. And, and, you know, I put up like, I, I had, sometimes I get back backlogged on my podcast, so I'll end up putting them up later, but I put up like four or something. And I know out of those latest four podcasts that I put up, it might've been either the latest one or the one before that. Yeah. He dives totally into, oh, really? into vibrato and what he says, I'll try to summarize it. One of the best things that he said is he goes, it's like you're waving, you know, he's like, oh, okay. like that. He goes, it's all in the wrist. And what he does is he kind of does it like I do where he'll put a space in between the, scissor, the scissors kind of thing. Yeah. Yeah. And he just kind of moves it, but his vibrato. And, and this is what I kind of got out of it is he goes forward in front of the fret and behind the fret uh-huh. about halfway, about halfway you know, oh, wow. in front and behind the fret. Wow. And it's, it's a medium speed, you know, uh, he, he hits the note in tune or chord in tune and then he will he will go forward about half the fret and back half the fret, and uh, like he's waving, so everything's coming out of his wrist. Yeah, that's what I got out of it. You know, at yeah. least. Yeah, uh, yeah. I, I guess my questions are like, you know, speed and width. You know, those those are big. Like, because I kind of do what I do, or wherever I'm at. Like, I've I'm, I do a thing, but I would love to. Um, I guess everybody just says uh, it's just something that you just over time, you you know, you develop the way that you do it or whatever. But um, I'll have to I'll, I'll I'm going to dig into those to check that out because I want to hear him talk about that. Yeah, he says uh, Jerry Bird says don't don't do the mosquito vibrato where it's like a mosquito buzzing in your like. Uh-huh. Yeah. He says you know just a nice uh, uh, medium tempo vibrato as far as uh-huh. the speed goes. You know it's. And the width is is a, he has a really wide vibrato. It seems to get yeah. the Hawaiian sound, but he's huh. a master of it. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, I got to get some recordings of him playing. I don't have anything of him. Got to check that out. Yeah, I'm trying to think what you know on Spotify. There's a couple like, uh, um, what do you call it? Uh, where a bunch of different steel players or compilation kind of compilations. Thing, yeah. Uh-huh. yeah. Cool. Yeah, but it's kind of, it's a little bit hard too. I mean, he'll pull up these albums with like from Japan and stuff where these people made these albums. I'm like, man, how do I get that album? You know? Yeah. Yeah. There was a guy that I learned about Bucky Shirakata. Have you heard of that guy? Uh-uh. Apparently he lived in Japan. Um, and uh, I mean, pff, blew my mind. I mean, I was like, this guy is amazing, you know? And, uh, but there's, it, I haven't really heard much about him, you know? It's just, there's so there's yeah it seems like there's guys everywhere <laughs> well cool That's man great. thanks so much for having me and uh we'll let's uh let's do it again absolutely anytime nick yeah cool thanks again we'll talk okay. to you later okay man thanks for having me talk okay. soon all right see ya bye bye